0: You are listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, everyone. Y'all doing okay? Good to hear. If you're visiting this morning, my name is Jake. I'm so glad that you have joined us. Okay, I'm going to begin on a uh, downer note. Just prepare yourself. Uh, But honestly, uh, the statistics are haunting. Around 2 billion people in the world today live in poverty. And about 10% of the global population, which is about 700 million people live in extreme poverty or on less than two dollars a day. It's estimated that 22,000 children die daily as a result of poverty. Poverty and with it, uh, food insecurity are huge problems all around the world, but also not just around the world, but here in Austin. According to the city of Austin just last year, about 15% of Austinites are food insecure, meaning that they do not know where their next nutritious meal is coming from. 200,000 people in our city. Last November, uh, KVU News interviewed Lisa Barden, the executive director of Keep Austin Fed. And in their interview, Barden said, about 200,000 people in Austin are food insecure, and of those 200,000 people, about a third of them are children. I remember the day uh, when these uh, statistics became personal for me. I was uh, serving at a, the church that would eventually plant Midtown, and uh, we were doing a summer day camp uh, for, for a week, a lot, and we were doing it in connection with a local school and uh, during this day camp, we would provide breakfast and and lunch for the kids, and uh, the camp was just packed. And I remember remarking to one of the school counselors just how encouraged I was by the incredible turnout that we were having. And she said, you know, uh, when school is out, most, most of these kids only have one meal a day, and it's not very nutritious. And then she said, oh, I would love to tell you that they're here for your camp but the reality is they're here for your food. We live in a world today and in a city today, friends, when, when many people are hungry and they don't know where their next nutritious meal is coming from. And yet, we also live in a city where hundreds of thousands of people have much more food than they will eat. You know, pantries stuffed with snacks, fridges full of food that will eventually go bad before they eat it. You know, has that ever happened to you? It happens to me. Um, It's uh, estimated that 30% of the food in America is thrown out. The average family of four in the U.S. spends around $1,500 a year on food that they will throw away. Here in Texas, uh, according to research done in 2022, uh, Texas had about 5.7 million tons of food waste. And more than half of that was from residential households. We live uh, with this incredible disparity. Many hungry people in our city and many people having much more food than they know what to do with. In this way, uh, heaven is not like Austin. Now, is there a practice from the way of Jesus that will help bridge the gap between that disparity? You know I'm going to say yes. Yes. It's the practice of fasting. It's the practice of fasting. See, uh, over the last three weeks, we've explored the power of fasting for personal transformation. Looking at the first three reasons for why we fast: right that we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus, and we all, and we fast in order to grow in holiness, and we fast to amplify our prayers. But today, we're going to look at this fourth reason for why we fast, and it's a little different. It's 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 a, it's a reason to fast, not for just personal transformation, but social transformation, that we fast as a way to stand with the poor. Did you know that throughout church history, fasting is one of the main practices that followers of Jesus have adopted to care for the hungry and the vulnerable? That this idea of fasting for this reason might be new to you, but it's true that the fasting is actually one of the primary vehicles for biblical vision of justice found in Scripture. Because in Scripture, we see that fasting and care for the poor go hand in hand. The place we see this the most clearly is actually one of the passages in Scripture, in all of Scripture, that talks the most about fasting. It's Isaiah chapter... 58. And so we're going to look at that passage together this morning. And if, so if you have a Bible, you can go there. I also have the words up behind me on the slides. Before we look at it, let me just mention uh, a little context here. In this passage, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. And just remember that the nation of Israel was intended to be a kingdom of priests, a channel of God's rule and rain, and justice for the wider world, but they were falling woefully short. And so in this passage, God calls them out. If we look at Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 3, what we see is that the people of Israel are asking God this question. Why have we fasted, they said, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? (laughs) Like the people of God are saying, God, we're fasting, but it doesn't seem to be working. Like, where are you? Why aren't you noticing? Why Why aren't you responding to us? And then God does respond. Here's what he says through the prophet Isaiah. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. See, this is God saying, Israel, you you want to know why it seems like I'm not responding to you as you fast? It's because how our our relationship with each other is completely impacted. By how you relate to others. He goes on to say, verse 5, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Like, do you really think that I only care about how you relate to me, God is saying. That you humble yourselves before me. That you grieve your sin before me. That that's all I care about. See, God is saying there is more to our relationship than just that. More to fasting than just offering ourselves to Jesus or growing in holiness or amplifying our prayers. Keep reading. Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? That when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Okay, just let me point out just a few things that are the focus of this type of fast. It's to directly from this passage to fight injustice, to loose the chains of injustice, to free people from oppression, as it says, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke, to share your food with the hungry. Direct quote. To provide shelter for the poor wanderer, the refugee, the immigrant. To clothe the naked and to care for people in need. Okay. Now, why do you think that God calls the people of Israel to fast with this type of focus? Well, I kind of said it earlier. It's because... Our fellowship with God is directly impacted by our relationship with others. Our fellowship with God is directly impacted by our fellowship with others. This is why Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, like you're, you're doing something to make things right between you and God, Right? He says, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Like if you want things right here, make things right here. That's the priority. First, go and fix this. Then come before me. Apostle John, it's like he stretches stretches this point. he, He emphasizes it. In 1 John chapter 4, he says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So, let we'll say that's a big reason why God would cause people to fast in this way, to fast in a way that fights injustice and feeds the hungry and cares for the vulnerable. It's because our fellowship, our intimacy with God is true, directly impacted by how we treat others. And friends, that applies to how we treat all people, okay? But just to push this a little further, This is particularly true for how we treat the vulnerable. In Psalm 146, verses 6 through 9, it says, God is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the, the cause of the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry The Lord says, prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18 says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the mighty and the awesome God, Who is not partial and takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8, 9 through 10 says, This is what the Lord Almighty said Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. See the the reason why our fellowship with God is particularly impacted by how we treat the vulnerable is because God is uniquely God uniquely identifies not with people in power, but with people without power. In ancient agrarian societies, these four groups show up again and again in Scripture. The, The widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor. They had no social power and were often on the brink of starvation, especially if there was a famine or an invasion or sickness. Today, we could add to these four groups the refugee, the unhoused, many single parents and many elderly. And what is striking to me and so beautiful is how often God is introduced as the defender of these vulnerable groups. How you want to be introduced says something about you, right? Every once in a while, I'll speak at a retreat or speak at a different church And they'll ask me, How do do you want to be introduced? And I say, Well, just tell them that I'm the pastor of Midtown Church and I'm the husband of Krista and the father of Camp Enoch and Della. And I like that as a quick summary because that kind of captures the main thing that I do and the main relationships I am in. Well, with that in mind, how wild is it that God is introduced in scripture like this Psalm 68 His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Friends, if God's character includes a zeal for justice that leads him to have this the tenderest of love and to uniquely identify with the socially weak, then what should God's people be like? We must be a people who are likewise, passionately concerned for the weak and the vulnerable. For that is why in Isaiah 58, God calls Israel this type of fasting. Again, let me just read it for you. He says, "Is not this kind of fasting. Now, it's not this the kind of fasting I've chosen. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter that when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. The late, great uh, Tim Keller and his uh, book, uh, Generous Justice, in reference to that uh, verse, has this to say. It says, if believers in God don't honor the cries and the claim of the poor, we don't honor him whatever we profess. Because we hide his beauty from the eyes of the world. When we pour ourselves out for the poor, that gets the world's notice. Even when Christians were a small minority in the Roman Empire, their startling charity to the poor evoked great respect from the populace. To honor him, we must defend the poor and the needy. And when we look back at Isaiah 58... We see that that's what God says, that when we honor him in this way, here's what he says happens. Then, starting in verse 8, your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger in the malicious talk. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. One of the main ways followers of Jesus throughout the history of the church one of the main ways they have sought to apply Isaiah 58 is by linking the practice of fasting with what early Christians called almsgiving. Almsgiving. Not a word we use much anymore, but almsgiving just just means works of mercy. And it's specifically this, this combination of generosity and service and justice. Generosity, service, and justice. And for over a millennia, followers of Jesus t- uh, tied almsgiving to fasting, just like we naturally tie uh, prayer to fasting now. Like, just, just like when we think about fasting, you, you, you just link it fasting and prayer. And you, though it is theoretically possible to fast without praying, Kind of misses the whole point, but, you know, it is possible. But in our mind, those just go hand in hand, fasting and prayer. Well, in the minds of the early Christians, they linked fasting with almsgiving. To give you some examples of this, uh, St. Leo the Great, the, the early 5th century, in the early 5th century, said this, there is no more profitable practice as a companion to holy and spiritual fasting than that of almsgiving. And then the Shepherd of Hermas, which is a very early Christian writing that dates all the way back to the second century. In that writing, there is this instruction for the widespread practice of fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. It's what it said. It said, estimate the cost of the food you would have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his soul and pray to the Lord for you. St. Gregory of Nyssa in the 4th century said this of fasting. He said, simply, give to the hungry what you deny your own appetite. See, all of these great ones from the way of Jesus are saying in chorus, we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with our neighbor. And they understood that fasting is a way to both love God and love your neighbor at the same time. See, to get just really practical with you, uh, this type of fasting helps us do two things. First, It's a way to stand in solidarity with the hungry. Just practically speaking, that when you regularly go without food by choice, that helps put you physically and emotionally in touch with the millions of people around the world and in our own country who regularly go without food, but not by choice. And the denial of your stomach helps do something to your heart the helping you begin to feel the compassion of god for the hungry and the vulnerable helping you begin to empathize with them now, i i know that <laughs> this is very basic but let me just for what it's worth what this looks like for me is that whenever i fast and i and everly begin to feel hungry i simply pause long enough to have the thought what would it feel like to feel this way every day to not have the option to just walk into my kitchen open up the fridge and grab something to eat that thought does up into my heart it, it it grows a compassion within me for the many people in our world, they don't have the option of walking into their kitchen and grabbing something to eat. It helps me want to do something for them, to sacrifice something from, that I have in order to help alleviate their hunger and their pain. It, it causes me to want to pray for them, but to want to do even more than pray. It helps me engage in the second thing that this type of fasting helps us do, which is this type of fasting is a way to share what we have, to share what we have. Where we take the money we would have typically spent on breakfast and lunch, and we, we give it away to help someone in need. And perhaps we also take the time that we would have spent in preparing that food and eating that food and, and cleaning up after that food and use that time to serve people. Need Dorothy Day, journalist, social activist, founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, once said, "How shall we have the means to help our brother who is in need?" It's a real question. How shall we have the need? Many times we feel like we don't have anything to give away. We don't have anything that can really help others. Here's what her answer was. She says, "We can do without those unnecessary things which become habits: cigarettes, liquor." Coffee, tea, candy, soda, soft drinks, and those foods at meals which only titillate the palate. We all have these habits, the youngest and the oldest, and we have to die to ourselves in order to live. We have to put off the old man and put on Christ. See, this is one way not to just talk about justice but actually do justice. In our digital age, there is so much talk of justice and and just so little of it actually being done. See, friends, fasting tied with almsgiving is much, much much better than ranting on social media or liking someone's well-worded and timely post. See, in a biblical theology of justice, talk is cheap the call is to act in love to do justice think about what the apostle john said in first john chapter 3 16 through 18 he says this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Ouch. <laughs> Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. See, this this could be literally as simple as giving the 10 or 20 dollars you would have spent on breakfast and lunch and giving that away to our local food bank, or buying groceries for someone in your community, or just venmoing someone to help pay their medical bills. And that might not seem like a, a lot. You know, ten or twenty dollars. But if you were to begin this practice regularly, once or twice a week, man, that will really add up. Each year, uh, our church family does a a, a season of, of prayer and fasting. Uh, we've never done a four week sermon series on fasting to go along with it, but. uh, we have done seasons of 21 days of prayer and fasting, 28 days of prayer and fasting, usually every year and around this time. And uh, for a number of those years, I think two years, I should say, um, Krista and I, we talked with our kids, and we decided as a family that we would uh, go without eating out and drinking soft drinks during that period of prayer and fasting. And that we would take the money that we would use uh or that we would have spent on those things, and we would instead give that money away. We did that twice uh for a couple weeks each time. And this last uh this last week, as we're preparing for this message, I I asked uh Camp and Enoch, my two sons, uh, about that and just said, Hey, you remember when we did that? Like well, did that was that? Kind of impact did that have on you? Hoping to hear from them how life changing it was, right? <laughs> Instead, uh, they said, um, "Yeah, I I, I kind of remember doing that." <laughs> Not exactly the the response I was hoping to hear. It, it made me wish that we had done it more often. Yeah, you know, it turns out. Two times for a couple of weeks each time wasn't enough to really leave much of an impact. But if we made this a regular practice, if beyond this four weeks of prayer and fasting, you were to decide that you were going to fast regularly each week moving forward, that would have a huge impact, both on your heart, growing a compassion for those that are vulnerable and hungry. And it would have an impact on them, on people who are hungry, as you give food away to care for and reflect God's heart for the vulnerable. It would impact you and it it would impact them. And friends, if, if our whole church were to do that, if we as a family practicing the way of Jesus together and our city regularly practiced and tied our practice of fasting with almsgiving, Austin would become more like heaven. See, you, you can do this. It's an invitation. You don't have to. But it's a very practical and helpful way. Fasting is a very practical and helpful way to offer yourselves to Jesus. A living sacrifice. To grow in holiness, denying your flesh, feeding your spirit. To amplify your prayers, helping you more clearly listen to God's voice and communicate well with God. And it's a helpful practice to help you stand with the poor. I want to encourage you to truly consider not just fasting this next week to end our time of this practice and the sermon series that goes along with it, but to really consider what would it look like to practice this moving forward? To make this a regular part of your life. See, I think one of the enemy's cleverest questions is, what can one person do in the face of all the evil and injustice in the world? As if one person doing something is a waste of time and money. But friends, that is a lie. So you can do this. You can fast a day or two a week and free up time and or money to share with those in need. And if we all do this, and that will have a profound impact on our city. So, as a way to love God and love our neighbor at the same time, and as a way to stand with the poor, I want to invite you to join us in fasting this week and really prayerfully consider fasting moving forward. But this week, specifically, the invitation is the same as it's been throughout this series. The invitation is this, that you would uh, fast from breakfast and lunch and then break your fast at sundown with dinner. But this week, as you fast, focus on standing with the poor, But to get even more specific, I want to invite you to calculate the money that you would have spent on breakfast and lunch and then give it away. In the Fast and Practice Guide, you will see a few more recommendations along these lines. So again, I really encourage you to pick this up and to use this, to read it, and to use, and actually be in the Word through the daily devotionals this week. I feel like God will have a lot to say to us this week, so I really want to encourage you to spend time on that. But uh, one of the things that you're going to... Uh, well, so one of the things you'll see in there is that challenge to actually give some money away this week and even some recommendations of places that you could do that. But it's all up to you. To do that, feel free to give away to somewhere else if you would prefer someone that you have a relationship with or or whatever. But just want to let you know there's some recommendations in there. Also, just to tie what Justin was talking about earlier, this is the reason why we're doing the Serve Austin Ministry Fair next Sunday. We want to help expose you to more opportunities to uh, ways to serve our city, the vulnerable in our city, to serve uh, the, the kids in foster care to serve single moms, to serve refugees. So we'll have a number of uh, organizations here. We're, like I said, we or like Justin said, we're gonna end the service a little early. So we're not taking up extra of your time and we are going to provide you lunch. So come on, it's gonna be great next Sunday. I know it's the first weekend of spring break. And so some of y'all will be traveling. Consider changing your travel plans to, no. If you're going to miss it, we'll help you get connected to them another time. But that's going to be a neat thing that happens next Sunday. And we just want to help each other as a church family partner with God and reflect his heart for the vulnerable in our community. This is what he's like. And if we're going to be his people, that's what we're going to be like as well. Now, to end this message, I want to invite our servers to begin passing uh, the uh, communion elements. But friends, as I do that, I hope you can still give me your attention because I, I want to address one really important assumption that I've made throughout this message. The important assumption being that you and I want to stand with the poor and to share with those in need. I think that that's a pretty fair assumption because I know y'all. I know that this is something that you have a heart for. And most of us are all for this thing. But I also know myself, and I assume that this is true for y'all as well, is that when the rubber meets the road— and serving others requires sacrifice. It begins to get costly. It requires extra time or intentionality, even mental headspace to actually think about how much would I have spent on breakfast and lunch? Like even little things like that, it just often the motivation seems to run out. My intentions are good, but my intentions are not good enough to actually cause me to do something, to serve others. If that's true of you, then I want you to hear this. See, fasting is a great practice that God can use to help form his heart in us and lead us to serve others. But honestly, if we're really going to reflect God's heart and partner with him in caring for the poor, we're going to need more than a practice. We need a person. We need Jesus. We need to realize that apart from Jesus, we're all spiritually poor, and that we're unable to redeem ourselves, we're morally bankrupt and and, and in debt before God, that we need to see how Jesus graciously and lovingly sacrificed for us when we were poor and vulnerable and unable to help ourselves. I think about what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, when he puts the gospel in this way, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, in the grace of jesus though he was rich he became poor for our sake that he became poor leaving the riches of heaven and being born in a born in a feeding trough growing up to be a homeless rabbi that had no place to lay his head and then being unjustly and wrongfully accused and then convicted and then condemned to die a criminal's death on a cross, all in order to pay the debt for our spiritual poverty. He did all of that so that through his poverty, you and I might become rich that we might in him receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, as Ephesians 1 verse 3 says. See, friends, when you and I realize our spiritual poverty apart from Jesus, and we rejoice in the grace that we have been given in the person of Jesus, that has the power to move our hearts to want to love As we have been loved. To be willing to sacrifice comfort and food and time and energy to care for the poor and vulnerable. For we are, we were the poor and vulnerable apart from Christ. And look at how he loved us. Look at it. Let him compel our hearts to go and do likewise, to love and serve the poor and vulnerable now with him in light of how he has loved and served us. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.